0: Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name is Nesh Nikolic and my guest today is Professor Alex Haslam. Alex is a professor of social and organizational psychology and Australian Laureate Fellow at the University of Queensland. His research focuses on the study of group and identity processes in organizational, social, and clinical contexts. Together with his colleagues, Alex has written and cited 15 books and published over 300 peer-reviewed articles on these topics. His most recent books are The New Psychology of Health, Unlocking the Social Cure, The New Psychology of Leadership, Identity, Influence, and Power, and Social Psychology, Revisiting the Classic Studies. Alex is a former chief editor of the European Journal of Social Psychology and currently associate editor of the Leadership Quarterly. In 2005, he won the European Association of Social Psychology Kurt Lewin Medal for Outstanding Scientific Contribution. In 2013, he won the International Leadership Association's Outstanding Leadership Book Award for the new Psychology of Leadership book. In 2016, he won the British Psychology Society President's Award for Distinguished Contributions to Psychological Knowledge. In 2017, he won the International Society for Political Psychology Stanford Prize for Distinguished Contributions to Political Psychology, and also the Australian Psychological Society's Workplace Excellence Award for Leadership Development. And finally, in 2018, he won the Australian Psychological Society's Award for Distinguished Contribution to Psychological Science. Alex is a member, and appointed member of the Order of Australia for significant service to higher education, particularly psychology through research and mentoring. And it goes without saying that today's conversation is extremely insightful in looking at leadership. I can say that Alex's perspective on this is not only research based, but flips this whole topic on its head and was very insightful and enlightening and in actual fact uh, uh, exciting for me to learn about. And I hope that you can also find a lot of interest in this because it really shows that we can all be leaders in the way that we uh, contribute to a common goal within whether it's our organization, politics that we hold, or more importantly, our family and friends. So hope you enjoy this episode. Alex, a big thank you for coming onto the show today. I've been really looking forward to recording this episode with you.
1: Thanks, Nash. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our chat too.
0: Tell me a little bit about yourself. I know that topic today will will, will cover, you know, or or at least focus on that identity leadership space and its implications on social and organizational settings, and that includes that clinical space and even sports environments. But maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into into uh, you know, studying this area.
1: Yeah, so I'm uh, my training was as a social psychologist. Uh, I originally did my first degree at University of St. Andrews in Scotland, and then I came out to do my uh, PhD in Australia, which I did with uh, John Turner, who was one of the sort of proponents uh, with Henri Tajfell of social identity theory. And then I worked with John. uh, I finished my PhD in 1991. I basically worked with him up to the time of uh, his death, which was really the next um, uh, 15 years. So all up, I worked with him for about 20 years. Um, He was really interested in social identity processes, um, but laid the ground also for an analysis, uh, an incredibly influential analysis of social influence. Um, And then the work that we did together, but also work I've done with other colleagues, Steve Reich or Michael Plato, but other people here at University of Queensland, uh, in particular, Nick Steffens, has really uh, taken that up and really examined leadership as an influence process and understanding the things which, if you like, make leadership stick in an array of a context and understanding the uh, complex dynamics between leaders and followers on which that process of mutual influence centers.
0: Tell, tell me a little bit about why that's of interest to you. What, what strikes you? I know that a lot of us have Probably read books on leadership, or have been yeah. interested in yeah. different yeah. leaders. Like, yeah. like to follow particular leaders yeah. rather than others. What's, what's yeah. brought you? To
1: well, this? the 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 kind of obvious point really is that leadership is everywhere, and leadership, you know, fundamentally is is critical to processes of social change. So, if you're interested in doing things in the world, and if you're interested in changing it. Um, then leadership is a, is a is a really critical uh, topic. So you know, lead, change is always driven by leaders, but it's also always delivered by followers. So it's never just about leaders; it's always about the followers who are inspired, motivated, enthused by leaders. Um, and it's that again, as I say, it's that dynamic that's really fascinating and i think what's interesting as psychologists is that um, we often think about leadership as just something that's maybe only relevant to something like organizational psychology but if you it's pretty it's relevant to pretty much every major topic in social psychology um it's relevant obviously to things like sport psychology and political psychology but it's also incredibly relevant to clinical psychology and some of the research that we've done most recently, is really understanding the role of the clinician as the role of a leader. And and we don't um, often really think about that, because we don't really like to focus on maybe issues of power, and uh, authority. But actually, you know, clinicians do have power and they and more particularly, if they're effective, they have influence, and they inspire followership in the people who they are trying to help. So, Actually, um we've argued, you know, something like the therapeutic alliance, which we know is absolutely critical for uh, the delivery of clinical outcomes, how, to understand the therapy for a lot of clinicians, the therapeutic alliance is just a black box. Oh, it's just it's just full of all these unknown variables, things that seem to be sort of important, like whether you like your therapist or or you have a good relationship with them, or blah blah blah. Very atheoretical, theoretical, non-specific. Not part of the therapeutic package, if you like, just just a, a, an incidental extra. Well, actually, our work and a lot of the evidence we have shows no. It's absolutely critical to the delivery of therapeutic a- outcomes, particularly in things like well, in, in, in you know any therapeutic setting, but often in aid contexts, for example. If you think about aid workers who are delivering help, one of the reasons why aid is often incredibly ineffective. Is because people get the dynamics of leadership all wrong. They they come across as outsiders who are kind of doing leadership to you, not with you or for you. So um uh our work really argues: no, you've seriously got to rethink that. And you need to bring this analysis to bear on your actual understanding of the therapeutic process. And you know, I'm not a clinician, my wife is um and we have a lot of and we work together on a lot of these things too with other colleagues particularly in australia particularly tegan cruz and michael plato at uh anu um, and you know and the more you kind of run with that particular ball the more um goals you score and what you see is again a failure to come to grips with those leadership dynamics actually create leaves this whopping great hole at the heart of the therapeutic process
0: would it be reasonable to in some sense consider the word leadership to to mean trust and to mean influence that there is a working relationship where it's established on or grounded in a sense of uh, you know belief from the client that they're with a competent therapist who trusts who they trust that has their best interests in mind without necessarily the power dynamic, there, there, there's not one yeah. holding yeah. power over the other. It's still a, a collaborative yeah. um, uh, work, but there is an expert in the room uh, yeah. who, who can assist.
1: Yeah, and I think, well, all of those things are basically true. I think trust is absolutely critical for leadership, but I would argue that that's a product. It's a it's a correlate of the core leadership process. So it's an index of it. And yeah, where you have effective leadership, you have trust. Trust, you have authority, you have, and you have influence, as you say. And really the the question you raise is really the critical one because actually, you know, you can't really have a this a good discussion about leadership without starting by defining what leadership is. And actually, that's a again, a, one of many sort of criticisms I have of lots of stuff in the leadership domain is people just imagine, you know, you just talk or write on about leadership without ever really properly defining it. So what is leadership? Well, leadership is the process of influencing another person in a way, or or group of people, in a way that motivates them to contribute to the achievement of group goals. So, and there's lots of kind of elements of that definition that are really important, but the critical, most critical thing is that it's a process of influence and it's about motivating people to contribute to some collective outcome. It's always about leaders, if you like, doing that influence, but it's also implicitly also and an explicitly about followers who are influenced, and therefore, ultimately, it's their followership, whether they go along with what the leader recommends or suggests or argues for, it's whether or not they do that is the, that is the proof of leadership. So one of the papers that I have with Michael Plato is without followership, there is no leadership. So. I can sit here, we can sit here for the next hour, and I can tell you how wonderful my CV is and all the fantastic things I've done and how capable I am. But if at the end of the day, people just switch off the podcast, well, there's nothing happened. There's nothing to see here. There's no leadership. So leadership is only going to occur if people go, oh, I heard that interesting podcast with this bloke. I don't know what he was talking about, but he made some good points about this. And then they go and talk to somebody else and say, well, no, I think you've got that wrong because I think you need to understand leadership as an influence process that centers on a group dynamic um, and it involves followership. So so again, it's not what I do ultimately that makes this leadership. It's what other people do and and the impact that it has on the groups that we're a part of, and then and then the groups that those groups impact on, and the way those groups impact on uh, the world. So again, one of the big problems. I mean, there's many, there's myriad problems with the kind of leadership literature, but but probably the mode the one that really plagues it is this idea that leadership is just about leaders and that to understand leadership we just need to look at the characteristics or the attributes the qualities the experiences the teaching the development of leaders if that's all you ever do you will never ever 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 understand leadership
0: because it, it it's obviously much more nuanced than just looking at these indexes of trust or authority yeah. it, it actually about, looks at what are the mechanisms
1: yeah it's about this relationship between leads and followers and it's about that influence process so it's about it's about being influenced the other thing there too to to um note is that you know is the relationship with power now the reason that leadership is a power process is not because leaders just have power and they just tell people what to do that's not what leadership is about it's about power through so leadership is about power in the world, because if you do leadership, right, or if leadership is done, right, it mobilizes other people, and then those people go out and do things in the world. And then the leader has power because they're actually then changing the world through those followers. So one, there's lots of definitions of power too. But if we're talking about power over, we're not talking about leadership, what when we're talking about leadership, we're talking about power through And power through is, if you like, true social power, which is the capacity to affect various forms of change. And obviously that can be, as we said, it can be in a therapeutic context, it can be an organizational context, it can be in a military context, it can be in a business context, it can be in a sporting context. You know, you just want to do, you know, you want to do something that leaves your group in a better position than it was when you started this process. Um and to the extent that you do that and are seen to do that and, and, and understood to do that by members of the group, then your leadership will be recognized and fated and celebrated. If you don't do that, it will count for nothing. So again, ultimately, and, and this is where we're going to go in this conversation, the, the kind of hallmarks of leadership are are how it is perceived by group members. So so again A leader if you like is only as effective as their as their as the perceptions of their leadership from or on the part of followers or or other members of their group so if people in your team you may think i may think i'm just a fantastic leader you know nothing you can tell me about leadership but if everybody in my team thinks i'm an idiot um and and they and they and they don't value what I do, not for myself, but for us, for the group, then my capacity to have a positive impact and positive influence on the group, on them, to do leadership will be chronically limited. I think we all know people like that, who who have this idea of themselves as great leaders, and they've got the CV to prove it, as it were. They go around telling everybody how wonderful they are. They leave everybody cold, and they... And they, and they have no capacity to affect change. That's a very bad stance for a therapist. It's a very bad uh, stance for a team leader, you know, in all of those uh, kinds of contexts. Because ultimately, it's the perceptions and then the actions of team members, of group members, of followers, uh, or putative followers, that is the proof of your leadership.
0: Are there any regular occurring characteristics that tend to go with leadership because i'm thinking in my mind you know leaders can be vastly different in different settings and you know whether it's a political one whether it's an organizational clinical and so on are there anything from you know the research and obviously your broad knowledge that that shows up as being you know reoccurring that comes up
1: yeah, and and of that question obviously comes up is a one that's asked sort of perennially in the leadership literature, and 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 actually the the clue and the the key to answering it is to really think carefully about the question and and how you interpret that. You know, depends on whether you're going to find the answers. And historically, traditionally, leadership researchers, particularly in sort of organizational fields, have imagined that you're just looking for a basket of traits or attributes or characteristics and then the and the issue is well what are those so and and really that was that was something that was defined leadership sort of scholarship since the time of Plato so if you read Plato you know he talked about quickness of mind or courage or um intelligence Uh, you know that over time got distilled by other people who talked about creativity maybe different types of intelligence emotional intelligence um, dynamic, intelligence, all sorts of things of that nature. The problem with those um, th- that approach to kind of come up with the checklist or the shopping list, there's two real problems. Is One is you find um, effective leaders who have um, really diametrically opposed sets of characteristics. For, for argument's sake, there's not very much that Donald Trump has uh, as a, as a set of characteristics other than maybe confidence that that appears on a standard list of sort of organizational leadership characteristics the issue is that um whatever you whatever dimension you take again say you take probably the the attribute that's discussed most in the literature intelligence if you look at intelligence it correlates, or you know, formal intelligence as sort of measured by psychology, it correlates about 0.19 or something of that nature with uh, leadership effectiveness. Quite a, quite a small uh, correlation and also immensely variable. So there's some context in which leaders are more effective if they're actually really stupid, okay? But, and this is the critical point, the what does matter is not whether you have these attributes but whether you're perceived by people in your group to have attributes which are relevant and good for us. Intelligence is one of those things that often groups value, not always, but then what predicts leadership is not whether or not you are, whether I'm intelligent, whether you're intelligent, whether your listeners are intelligent, it's whether they're perceived to be intelligent by the people in their group. Now, I mentioned Donald Trump a minute ago. You could argue how intelligent he is. I mean, you know, he thinks he's very intelligent and other people think he's not so intelligent. Let's not go there. But let's just note that Democrats think Donald Trump is very stupid and Republicans think he's very intelligent. So, And what matters for Trump's leadership is the perception of his leadership. So the correlation between perceived intelligence and leadership is more like about point six point, you know, 0.65 or something of that nature. So being understood to have characteristics that matter for leadership is more important than than, as it were, just having them in the abstract. And then of course, the question is, what's the correlation between uh, leap between intelligence and perceived intelligence or courage and perceived courage, or whatever it might be? Well, have a guess, it's close to zero. Okay, so so again, and, and I think we all know people who are have you know the, all these qualities in spades, but they're not effective as leaders because those qualities aren't valued by the people in their team or they don't they don't manifest in ways that are perceived to be useful or valuable by uh, people in their team. So again, followers perception, which in itself is an aspect of followership is absolutely critical here. Um, and yes, you need to, as a leader, ask yourself, what is it that matters for my followers? What are the things they're looking for? Okay, that's number one is, so when it comes to the qualities is, I'm not what what makes a leader in the abstract is, no, what is it that my group is looking for? And then the issue is, are you perceived to be doing those things that the group kind of wants you to do and that values and valorizes? And if the answer to those things is yes, um, then you're much more likely to be an effective leader. But that is not, broadly speaking, where the leadership literature has been or has, has sort of come from. But in recent years, I think there's greater recognition of these things, particularly in academic psychologists. Not, I would argue in, and not, I would, and not just argue, I would point out, in, in sort of popular discourse as leadership. I mean, that continues very much in this kind of shopping basket, checklist, uh frame of mind to you know very much for its own detriment, but that's also related to the fact that often when people are commenting on leadership, they're not actually interested in providing a formal analysis of leadership. they're just interested in either eulogizing about some leader who they happen to like or trashing some leader who they don't and 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 those are you know that's journalism, that's not science.
0: Sure, it makes a lot of sense because there's this understanding, or at least the perspective of looking at, you know, how do followers perceive their leader? What are the attributes? And the question there is actually, do they possess the attributes that are good for us as the group? And so, if yeah. I think about some someone like, um, you know, former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, I know that I heard others talking around when the you know elections were on about that he had good. Economic acumen because he was a businessman. And so that for some people appealed to them saying that will be good for our country. And so, you know, there is influence through at least the perceived, you know, acumen that he brings to that position. And I think I've heard that for every prime minister, whether it's, you know, they are, you know, strong leaders on education or they're going to look at mental health in a, you know, in a priority way or you know that we're going to do more with this leader in you know moving our country to be greener through through you know particular policies and the likes so it's it's interesting and i think much more nuanced and functional to look at it that way which says is the leader perceived by their group whether they hold those um, characteristics not is another question but uh, so long as they are believed to be good for the job, which is actually good for the followers, good for the the cause, then people are willing to contribute in line with that, with, with yeah, that and, them you know, and vote, vote in them. that example.
1: And, yeah. And the critical point there is answer to those questions change. So if you look at the, any leader and the trajectory of their leadership. It you know at the at their high point you know when they're elected or when they start out people go oh yeah this person's really good for us or they're going to be really good for us and then the low point is when people say actually no you know what they're rubbish for us I mean Scott Morrison would be someone who you know had a had you know some moments in the sun but pretty much every leader that's true of you know think sure. about football manager Jurgen Klopp or wherever it is yeah when they are getting results for us you know, the front pages are full of, or back pages, if you're talking about sport, they're full of stories about what a great leader they are. And then, but then once the results fall away or people start to have doubts about, you know, who they're going to into bat for, um, then all of a sudden their the leadership sort of effectiveness evaporates. So, um, and, and, and what kills it is when... Uh, leaders are no longer perceived to be doing it for us they're either doing it for some other us i.e them or they're doing it for themselves so again a leader who is seen only to be in it for themselves this is a this is that's a very toxic um you know uh prescription but also of course part of what we often talk a lot about what makes leadership but the world is also uh you know a big part of the world is also the process of leadership Destabilisation. So in politics, it's not just that politicians make a case for their own leadership. They also want to undermine the case for their opponent's leadership. And actually, people do that all the time in lots of contexts, organizational and otherwise, sporting and so on. And how do you do that? How do you undermine other people's leadership? You persuade their potential followers that they're not in it for us, they're in it for themselves, or they're actually they're agents for some other collective, you know, whatever that might be— their church or or some other political party or some other set of interests. Malcolm Turnbull will be a case in point. You know, yeah, people say, "Oh, yeah, he's a really good economist, but he's not really a true conservative." You know, he's not—he's—he's a—he's 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 a, a small L liberal who's actually really a closet socialist or something of that nature. And if you can persuade people that you know, ultimately, this person is not one of us, not doing it for us then yeah, then they're going to find it very difficult to uh, do the leadership they want to do. And just to then pick up on that, right, and, and to come back a bit to your earlier question around, like, what is it, what are the characteristics or qualities that leadership have? Our own research, when we're talking about this process, this influence process as centering on a, a, a sense of shared group membership, we argue that that process is one of shared social identity, so that leaders perceive themselves as part of a group and followers perceive themselves and the leader as part of that same group. So the process is one that centres on a sense of shared identity. And we argue that all leadership, it actually, that's a critical underlying dynamic. And in those terms, and really our research over the last mm, two years, 20 years, has really focused on on unpicking this, but really there seem to be kind of four dimensions to that, two of which I've already alluded to. One is that leaders ultimately need to be seen as one of us. They need to be seen as someone who's who's of us and kind of for us in that sense, which, you know, that's obviously true in politics. You know, no Labour Party member is ever gonna vote for a, a, a you know a conservative, and similarly, no conservative is ever going to really vote for a Labour leader. I mean, their they, their identity may change and they may change their vote, but as so long as they define themselves as a conservative and they define the other person as one of them, it's going to be really difficult to vote for them. In order to overcome that, you have to see yourself in terms of different identities as an Australian or as a New Zealander. If you think about someone like Jacinda Ardern, how she managed to persuade Conservatives to vote for her when she did. That was because, not because they saw as a Labour leader, but they saw as a good leader of us, New Zealand. So you've got to be one of us. You've also got to do it for us. So as I said, you've got to be someone who is palpably delivering outcomes and results for us. The third thing and so those two things are like what actually technically referred to as identity prototypicality that's the so you're a prototype of what it means to be one of us the other is um identity advancement doing it for us the two others are firstly identity entrepreneurship so what effective leaders do is cultivate and create a shared sense of us so they're in the the, the their key currency is that sense of usness and they look to build up uh, our sense of ourselves as part of a group of which they are representative. So leaders don't just like say, oh, yeah, I'm one of us or, you know, I'm I'm a good conservative and leave it at that. No, they they persuade us of their, uh that they are indeed of the group. But then they also work hard to bring members of that group together to cohere around a sense of shared identity. And then the Fourth thing, the final thing, is something we refer to as identity impresarioship, which is that leaders organize activities, rituals, events, proceedings of various forms that bring groups together and allow them to live out their shared identity. Festivals, or whatever it may be, or rallies, or 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 or, or, or even just courses. You know, in a way, this podcast is a is a kind of an act of Identity and You're putting something out there to try to bring people to create a tent that people might, um you know, uh, organize themselves within. Until the extent they do that and they say, "Oh, look, there's really interesting conversations going on in this space, or this is a really interesting group of people here," then you're going to have influence as a leader. You're going to say, "Oh, you know, I really Nash's podcast. That's a really good one, and and I get or I and we get a lot out of it." And I'm going to say to other people, "I think you need to go there because." There's really interesting conversations being had there. So again, as a leader, you're not just talking the talk of us, you're you're walking the walk and you're putting energy and effort into doing things that make us real. You know, you're doing a podcast, you're doing a blog, you're attending rallies, you're organizing, you know, meetings or get together or celebrations, you know, and, and, and. Okay, so there's a psychological sort of uh, a sort of narrative side to identity leadership but there's also a behavioural and a material side to it too and at the end of the day you know that the power of it is about those things aligning so it's never just about like being seen to be a good leader or talking the talk it's actually about then changing the world and creating the material conditions which allow your group to progress and if you do that then that's the optimal Set of conditions for your leadership to be recognised by others and, and and celebrated itself. But if you don't, if you can't deliver those group group outcomes, psychological and material, ultimately, yeah, your you, you know your leadership will be uh, will will go cold and 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 not be uh, recognised. Won't won't you know? Will never be labelled as such. You would just be a journey person, as it were.
0: It's really fascinating hearing about those last components. Because it, it seems to me like that's the stickiest part of of the space, the glue, which kind of says, you know, when the yeah. identity as 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 a group, that entrepreneurship yeah. of saying, you know, we are collectively yeah. important, or we are different okay. to others, or we are special in some way, or whatever yeah. it might be. Well, that's um, right, yeah, and also like, yeah, that's right. I mean,
1: making the group feel special is really yeah. having a distinctive positive identity. That's a that's another that's a really I think, important term. And it's, I mean, the critical point there is, as a leader, you've got to be ready and willing to do the work there. And and again, and one reason why leadership fails is because either leaders get bored or tired of doing that work, or they think, no, they think that leadership is like riding a bike. They think, no, I know how to do that. I was a really good leader 10 years ago, and everybody knows that. I don't need to do any work anymore. Nah, the minute you stop working for the group, then, you know, then you just you'll just you'll again, there may be some scarics or, you know, uh, residual impact. And there may be, you know, a bit of but actually your real ability to actually uh, make uh, the kinds of change you want to achieve will be will be sort of limited. But but again, you know, I, the point bit my stress in my class, I guess, there is that, look, you know, leadership you're always going to have to do a lot more than go on a course on leadership and find out what it is and say yeah that's it and then check whether or not you've got those things this is something you're going to have to work at with your group you're going to have to find out what your group thinks leadership is what it wants what it needs and then you're going to have to work with them to deliver those things and you're going to have to continue to do that for so long as you want to have influence and an impact and that's you know that's but that's hard and that's why people. Sometimes I say, look, you know, Jacinda Ardern just the other day saying, look, you know, there's no more petrol in the tank. You know, I've given it everything I can. And, you know, and that's kind of fine in a way. Um, Well, you know, but but and that and and presumably she will have a certain amount of influence from the sidelines, but she won't have the same sort of influence that she had when she was at the centre of this group driving, you know, real, uh, you know, policy advancement or whatever it might be, or getting people behind her. Uh, you know, uh, strategy for tackling the pandemic or whatever it
0: might be. It's interesting because I've never thought of it in, in, in that way that it requires, you know, an ongoing investment that almost feels like it's a um, a growth uh, position. Yeah, it I mean, might not yeah. be because there yeah. can be an established group and, you know, yeah. everyone thinks that the leaders, you know, maintains yeah. that position yeah. and it's yeah. not necessarily growing, but it almost feels yeah. like, to lead is 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 at least at the very beginning very intensive in in, in its growth phase of trying to influence more and more people.
1: Yeah. So t- t- three points I'd just say there. One is you're absolutely not alone. So when you say I haven't thought about it like that, most people don't, and and that's not how the literature thinks about it, which is why the leadership literature is a bit of a mess, frankly. Um, or there's a lot of it there doesn't do much work, and there's a lot of hot air. That's number one. Number two is. Yeah, it requires this this huge amount of, of sort of energy and the idea of leadership as a doing thing. But the critical point there is that it's not just like personal energy, ultimately it's collective energy. So it's about, you know, I can't, I however much I've, I'm interested in being a leader, I can't just sit in my study or my office and just and do it and then and expect to change the world. No, ultimately I, I have to work with other people to develop that collective enthusiasm, that collective. Uh, kind of intensity and the third point I'd say is well, yeah I mean again obviously you know this is what my life's work I suppose so I'm not I'm not I'm quite I'm quite accustomed to that reaction and sometimes people go oh well, yeah that makes a lot of sense and they go but but that can't be true that, that, that can't be surely true and I'm and so hang on let's just pause here and there's people listening and say think tell me and put it on a postcard and tell me an example of leadership i influence that doesn't involve the things that we're talking about show me a case of leadership that doesn't center on those four things i i talked about so there's the, the, the and where we're going go? and the, the 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 point that i i really want to kind of tie these things together with is one is that leadership is everywhere so leadership is Central to everything that we care about, whether it's your family, you, you, again, we don't ever when we're talking about your family and how your family works, we don't think about organizing your summer holiday as leadership or um or getting you know cooking or getting the kids off to school or whatever it might be, but that's leadership because it's influencing people in a way that motivates them to contribute to group goals. So leadership's everywhere, and then second, so if you accept that, okay, it's everywhere, it is. Secondly, all leadership is identity leadership. Okay. All leadership is about these processes and mobilizing the group and moving it forward and being seen to do that. Um, and again, that's if, if you if you put those two things together, what we're talking about is something that really, really matters. And yet, as you said, people don't rarely, if ever, think about it in, in those terms. And um, and and they and they don't, if you like, when they're tackling this in the domain of activity that is of interest to them, whether that's as a therapist or as a business person or as, you know, running their family, that, that they're not uh, looking at it through uh, this uh, lens. And that I'd argue is why or, you know, implicitly, because we have faulty models of leadership, that's why we end up with such rubbish leaders, because we, you know, we we buy into uh, very problematic understandings of what good leadership looks like. Mm-hmm
0: it's fascinating even just thinking about it from my family context and thinking about how both my wife and I can be leaders at the same time, but we, we have a little, you know, playful uh, conversation that we talk about portfolios. And so, you know, I might be the leader of a particular portfolio, i.e. the outside, the garden, you know, the the mechanical things about getting cars serviced and so on. And Her portfolio might be around, you know, the kids' social events yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, you know, looking after them and so on. We've got different portfolios, but it, it's it's interesting because we still uh, work together and collaborate. And we ask questions yeah. of each other, but there is one that tends to take the reins. So it's fascinating that yeah. even in a two-person uh, you know relationship, we are still leaders and we swap uh, yeah. leadership depending on Absolutely. what the portfolio yeah. or topic is.
1: So. So that's a, there's a couple of, again, couple of, you know, I mean, one of the things I like about leadership is there's, all these different threads you can once you start talking about it, you say oh that's right but one is we said at the beginning leadership is a process by, by one or more people influence a group in a way that mobilizes them to to tr- the achievement of group goals it's one or more members of a group it isn't leadership is not just done by people who have the title of leader that's another big mistake no mm-hmm. and just having the title of leader doesn't make you a, lead, a, a leader or doesn't mean that you're doing leadership so again leadership can be done by everybody and actually if you look at effective groups and teams what you see is it's precisely that or families that matter everybody does lead you think about christmas you know you know i you know and probably over the course of your life you go to lots of people's houses for christmas and you see different families from the inside the ones that are most functional the ones where everybody contributes and everybody they they have a shared understanding of us and what we're about and what we're trying to achieve there and everybody it's, uh, to use a term that's used in the domain of sports psychology a really effective team is a leader full team, but it's also a follower full team. So people don't quit the, you know, again, they don't, they don't, they're not hung up on who is the leader. I mean, some families, those things are really dysfunctional, you know, no, 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 only father can cut the meat or whatever it is. Well, okay, if he's so wonderful, get on with it. Well, that doesn't, those things don't lend themselves necessarily to good outcomes. No, you want everybody buying into their leadership process, but also willing to put their shoulders to the wheel in the interests of the collective, but also being able to and interested in reading the group and understanding what it needs. So when there's like an, emer- we do a lot of research in another thing in high reliability organizations, which are things like hospitals or mines or aircraft carriers, the thing that is, an, or emergency services, things like that. The, the thing that's the hallmark of really effective high reliability organizations is that All members of the the delivery team, whatever the team is, have internalized a sense of collective mind, a collective understanding of what the group is, and are, are, are interested and motivated to do the bit of leadership that they need to do to help the group as a whole move forward. So they're leaderful groups with a really strong sense of shared social identity that's practiced and internalized over a long period of time and that leaders work really hard to embed and enact, you know, on a on a sort of daily basis. And but those things are always fragile. You know, all of those groups you can, you know, you can restructure them or you can you can damage them by um undermining that sense of shared identity in ways that will take really highly functional groups and make them very dysfunctional. By the same token, You can take dysfunctional groups, and if you have someone who's on the – or you have a group of people who are on the ball and understand the importance of the types of things that we're talking about now, well, then you can have something akin to transformational leadership where, you know, you you kind of repair the group. But critically, it it involves leaders being focused on the group, not on themselves as individuals. And that's, again, is – that's where, for example, a lot of MBA training and crap leadership – courses go horribly wrong and there's plenty of them and 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 i should add too plenty of money to be made out of them
0: look it fl- it really flips this whole conversation on its head because the, even the word you know leadership almost feels like it's the pointy end it's the person at the top when, when in actual fact the followers are the leaders you know where, when the current you know the water current is going if if all of it's going in one direction it's very powerful and so every contributing member is a leader in their own right. You know, yes, yep. there may be specific people who are, you know, uh, uh, quite focused on the influence part, but it needs, it It requires all the followers. The followers, you know, are a part of that that current. So it's fascinating to hear that because it really changes the game. It, it yeah. says that everyone I- is a leader and, and has, you know, in, at least in their own right, the capacity to influence—and my point is not that they have the capacity—they do influence.
1: Yeah, you know. that's right. I mean, but but sometimes that 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 their ability to do those things is not capitalised on or mobilised. And, yes. and again, I think we've all been in groups where this dynamic that we're talking about just doesn't exist because someone they, because it's either been stamped on in particular ways, or or indeed you've got a kind of toxic leader who's only interested in their own voice. Um, that you know, then all of a sudden the wheels can come off. But you're right. I think in really effective groups, it's really hard to see the seams. You can't, you know, if in if you think the sort of the tennis ball of leadership and followership, the two bits they're sort of welded together, and you can't really see the seam. And it's not really it's not really clear who is doing the leadership and who is doing the followership. There's a great uh, quote from the politician Ledru Ryan, which says, "You know, I am their leader. I must follow them." So that really. The most effective leaders are actually the people who are most committed to doing high quality followership, you know, because they are wanting to read, understand and move the group forward. But but, but only so long as they have that motivation and they're driving into that and they have some skill around that, only suppose they will they be doing effective leadership. So just kind of wanting to do that in the abstract isn't isn't enough.
0: And that, that, that's why it becomes so complicated in places like, you know, politics and organizations where, you know, in one setting or group, you can go out and say, you know, this person's for the people or for this organization and in another setting, which might be among those executives, do they have the executives, uh, uh, you know, trust and, and, you know, belief and the like and sometimes there are, you know, particularly in politics, things that you and I are not privy to. That are really important but, that that um, you know they, they, these high-level conversations and leaders understand. But you know we don't become privy to, and then we feel like, well, they're not working for me. They're actually working for. You know, another country or whatever or it is where,
1: is the yeah. typical thing, and, and often, you know, again in politics, you're often trying to persuade. If you're trying to undermine the other group, you're trying to persuade people that you know, I mean, if, you know, that they're just in it for themselves, or they're lying in their own pockets, or they're, or you know, or or they're off in some esoteric space that has no bearing on the rest of us. So that's that's absolutely right. I mean, the critical point there is all effective politicians and all effective leaders in pretty much every domain. Again, families. Again. Play a, a really good team game. I, I think again, another kind of recent example. I think of this is say Anthony Albanese. A lot of people going into, the, and again, this is just part of the, the journalism, I suppose. But is they're going, oh, you know, I don't think he's a really very good leader because he doesn't, he doesn't conform to some sort of stereotype of like what attributes a leader should have. He's a bit, of, seems a bit of a sort of non-entity, or he doesn't seem very, uh, you know, uh, charismatic or whatever it might be. Um, and then, and then you see. Well, actually, no. But the real thing is, he can organise a team of people around him, and they can work collectively to move things forward. And then all of a sudden, you say, "Oh, yeah, maybe." But he's he is actually quite an effective leader. And it's kind of like, "Oh, what's going on there?" Then, um, and you know, and I think Scott Morrison always talked a good game as a as a as it were leader. But again, it was because that didn't translate into things that matter, were mattered or were perceived to matter for us or Australians or whatever. That it was, to the extent that that was the case, and that obviously changed over the course of his time as as uh, Prime Minister, um, then then so do his stocks as a leader. Um, and again, if I mean again in our work, and this is again the work in particular led by my colleague Nick Stephens, but that what we find is. You know, actually, you can take pretty much everything that's out there in terms of measures of leadership. Well, you you really can take everything. I mean, you can put them all in a horse race, and we've done these studies. Now we've done research with uh, uh, collaborators all around the world in something like 30 countries, um, uh, hundreds, uh, sorry, thousands of of organisations and so on, and in every single context, every single context, whether we're talking business or sport, whatever, the the thing that's most predictive of someone's leadership is not those abstract shopping lists it's whether they are perceived to be doing it for us they're perceived to be one of us they're perceived to create a sense of us and they're making us matter and if the answer to those things is yes then broadly speaking you'll find that leaders are doing leadership i.e influencing the group members and when it's not they're not um and and that's why, I guess, in our own research and some of the practical stuff we do, we we say, well, if you really are interested in knowing whether leadership is going on here, this is what you need to do. And the other bit I'd throw in there is a little kind of irony is that often people aren't interested in leadership for all sorts of different reasons. They are, for example, just interested in getting a job where they get paid a lot of money. So, you know... If I'm a CEO of an Australian company, there's quite a bit of evidence that that things that lead to – and again, this is a project that Nick and I and other colleagues have been working on – that if, as a leader of an organisation, you seem very distant, and one one thing that contributes to that is extremely high pay – and that creates a distance between you and your followers. Well, that actually tends to be bad for your organization. So the fact that Alan Joyce, whatever he gets paid, I, I, I forget because it's, a you know, we're talking many, many, many millions of dollars a year. Forget the number. Um, uh, you know, uh, to the extent that's the case and, and uh, that he feels distant to his employees, other people who are working for Qantas, that doesn't lend itself to a heart a ha- being a high reliability, high functioning organisation. And again, I think, you know, and, and you come, you started off by talking about trust. So there are things that you can do as a leader that can undermine that sense of connection to your followers. One is pay yourself a lot. One is sack people when you hit hard times. One is make them feel like shit. Um, And, 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 okay. And to the extent that CEOs do that, and many of them do, well, actually, that's a recipe for uh, dysfunction. And, And one thing that comes out, again, very clearly in the literature is, there's a very, very small, and in many cases, negative correlation between how much you pay leaders and how effective they are in doing leadership.
0: Wow, this is a uh, th- 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 this is a real refreshing take on, on on looking at this, and and exciting to tell the truth. It really, you know, while you're talking, I'm uh, you know look, looking at my life, and you know the people that influence me, and you know yeah. the, the responsibilities that I hold. So let's just talk about. I, I would and,
1: say that to yeah, I say to my students often, okay. Do, Tell, just let okay. They come into my master's class and they, um, they have this idea about leadership and they're thinking about business leaders and I say, right, okay, so let's take this definition of leadership and now tell me where you had in your life have experienced really good leadership. Where have you actually felt mobilized and motivated by somebody? And pr- probably in eight out of ten students, the answer is well, there's sorry, there's there's two really common answers one is you know my mum or dad my parents you know were really they really helped me and they really motivated me and you know created a path for me or some family member and then the other is is a teacher someone at school someone at school who like but who worked for us and believed you know believed in me and you know and helped me to to find a, a a group as it were I mean if I think about myself I think about so I had a really strong relationship with those teachers but what they did was navigate me towards groups where we could work together and in that group context I was kind of energized and and motivated and of course that's I think what most parents are trying to achieve in their families they're trying to they're trying to bring the whole family together and move it forward you know um, so that in due course their children are able to take on those responsibilities as and the and the mantle of leadership, if you like, and to and to have a role in in steering the group forward when they're no longer motivated or able to do it. So yeah, absolutely. And 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 again, I I think what you said. I think leadership is just. I mean, I I think it's 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 absolutely fascinating, really exciting, uh, field. It's 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 exciting partly because of actually how it works. It's also kind of fun because you as someone who, you know, this is my, you know, this is what I live and breathe, you see how spectacularly wrong people get it. And watching that is kind of fun in its own sort of car crash kind of way. Um, but it but it but it but again, it it's at a societal level, you know, the thing that kind of one of the things I think that was really, you know, one of the silver linings to particularly the early phase of the pandemic was I think as a community we got to we've got to grips with some of these more communal aspects of leadership and we got away from the sort of great man model of leadership. I mean but there's the the horse with great man written on the back of it will always be running hard in this race because there's a lot of there's a lot riding on it a lot of material self-interest and there's lots of you know there's lots of pernicious influences in the world which would have you believe that that's all that matters and more particularly there's a Great paper by some people called Gamal and Oakley called "Leadership: An Alienating Social Myth," and the idea there is, you know, and this goes back to Plato. The idea only a certain number, you know, percentage, small, very small proportion of people have got it in them, have got what it takes to be a leader. That's that sort of way of thinking is a way of excluding people from the leadership debate, the the, the kind of process. But it's also a way of justifying, again, why it is that only men or an elite group of people who have been to private school or a well-connected financially, why they're the only people who should be getting these roles and responsibilities. But when you look at the pandemic, you see, no, the people who were delivering the outcomes were often, you know, they were unheralded, unsung people who just got on with the job of doing what we needed them to do. So, um, uh, but again in the world at large, there's a lot of interest in maintaining a faulty dysfunctional uh, view of leadership because it justifies having certain people there and it excludes other people from thinking that this is something that they should have a part in. And I think, so it's a a profoundly anti-democratic view. And I think ultimately leadership is the ultimate democratizing process. Um, uh, because and democracy, when it works effectively, is precisely something which is tuned into the needs of groups. And, of course, that's what fundamental leadership is.
0: Alex, where can our listeners find out more, you know, in terms of, you know, books and papers that... You know resonating in what you've discussed because obviously you know, I, I can go in yeah. i can go online i can go into a yeah. shop and i'm going to find effectively yeah. books that say here are your traits you know here yeah, are yeah, the, the, yeah, the yeah, five yeah. best things to have yeah. as a leader but where can yeah. we find this more refreshing point of view that you're yeah. talking
1: yeah, about? yeah yeah well i mean firstly if you i mean that we have the, the i think you know we've published a huge amount of research on those things and if and if you just search for a lot of that online you should be able to find it but if you need anything specifically drop me an email that's no problem you should be able to find me without too much difficulty But also, yeah, our book here, um, The New Psychology of Leadership, this was, uh, the first edition of this was uh, published in 2012, the second edition uh, 2020. Um, um, uh, Yeah, uh, I think it's a reasonably kind of accessible, uh, or we hope it is, uh, sort of journey into these kinds of issues. It's a pretty comprehensive treatment of a range of things we talked about today, but there's actually a lot more to it, as you can probably uh, guess but but most importantly i think it has a lot of the sort of hard evidence and and some of the really interesting sort of stories i think around these things when you actually make this concrete by talking about um you know history and 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 why certain things worked and why other things uh, didn't so i think you know i i think one of the things i think as a psychologist is that we often like we 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 like to be in like compartments i'm an organizational psychologist or a social psychologist or clinical psychologist and i I think that's problematic enough but i think actually you know as psychologists we don't engage enough with other things like history and politics and other things which actually need to inform our kind of scholarship and understanding i'm particularly and, and my colleagues are really i'm you know particularly interested in in history i guess and 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 looking forensically and archivally at like um like, um, you know, how these things uh, play out. I'll just give you one example of one study that that sort of speaks to these points. And again, I think it's just a really simple point. It's one that I pretty much always use when I talk about these things. This was a study Nick and I did uh, about eight years ago now, I think. And we were just looking at Australian elections and we are looking at who wins Australian elections. And we looked at the official election speeches of the two main candidates in, in in what were at the time 43 elections going back to Federation in 1901 and in those elections 34 of them were won by the leader who used collective pronouns we, us and our the most. So talking to and for us is absolutely critical to leadership and if you don't do that you won't ultimately be supported as a leader. We have other research shows that You can put a a concrete value on a collective pronoun in a company report. And the value of a a collective pronoun in a company report, this was in Germany a few years ago, was about 800,000 euros. So again, talking to and for us is something that is the currency of leadership and followership. And if you're not talking that language, you won't be having the impact that you uh, kind of want and need to have I and mean, that's just one example of I, I mean of some of the sort of quirky research i think that we've done around those things but and i have to say too i really enjoy i you know as you probably sense i always enjoy uh talking about these things i'm really keen you know to for this conversation to to get some purchase i have to say you know i'm close to retirement now and 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 and, and, and every time you know i do something like this it's it's almost like doing it for the first time because there's no sense in which this is, is part of the figure. It's always part of the background. Obviously, it would be great if in my lifetime there was some sense that that might change. But, you know, that's a matter of hope, not uh, hard data.
0: And Alex, certainly your passion come, comes out immensely. And uh, I know that when people become passionate, they become, you know, even more youthful. You can see the excitement and, you know, the the uh, glimmer in people's eyes and and that certainly oozes out of this conversation. And and to tell you the truth it is it's extremely refreshing because it, you know, even that small little example that he gave in terms of language, I don't think that human beings are clever enough to go out and be able to disguise language of, you know, we and our, and, you know, together uh, in, in just a, you know, single um, speech that has to be part of their narrative so it gives me great hope that you know true leaders do that all the time it's part of their, their their nature and so that's what we're attracted to and 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 thank you as well for for your book uh you know the new psychology of leadership and its identity influence and power and power and again um, that's
1: the power through not the power over variety you uh, know so uh, but we talk about that yeah so again you know we're talking about power and the capacity to affect change. And again, that's what ultimately draws people to uh, leadership, but not in that traditional sense. But yeah, no, you know, I've really enjoyed the chat. I, I hopefully, uh, the listeners have stuck with it and found it reasonably um, engaging. And hopefully, too, it's kind of, again, motivated uh, them to go on and read a bit more and do a bit more and and think about what this means for the domains of activity in which they want to see uh, positive uh, forms of change so ultimately uh the power of this will not be about just sitting down and me guffing on it's about actually people getting out there and, and making a difference so thank you very much
0: look alex the, the beauty of this conversation is that we can have an extended conversation so those people who are curious you know who, who are open-minded to hear from the expertise of yourself um, and you know other guests are you know in that way already you know primed and willing to be influenced but you know, thankfully it's influenced by data you know influenced by science and and obviously someone who's who's passionate and doesn't care what what it, what the actual outcome is it's what the data tells us and how life is so once again alex big thank you for for your expertise and your time today it's been it's been appreciated and i you know, appreciate you thank you
1: no it's been a great conversation thanks very much nash and uh yeah and good luck to all your listeners
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review, subscribe, share it via social media, and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out, I'd love to hear from you.